This is episode 141 of How to Human, and today we're continuing our feminism series with fourth wave feminism. The theme for fourth wave feminism is vulnerability. It began with the rise of social media, so people peg it somewhere between 2008 and 2012 as the beginning. Third wave feminism was more or less an individualist movement, but the theme was, you can't tell me what to be. And as fourth wave feminism came around, it became, you can't tell me what to feel. And that's where social media came in. It gave everyone an opportunity to share their pain, to share the ways in which the world was victimizing them in some way, shape or form. The harassment they received, the microaggressions they heard, the insecurity that the system is forcing into them that they think is invalid, the way they perceive the world as full of male entitlement and it's unfair and should be reconsidered and rebuilt with a more equitable lens. All these stories, all these ideas, those things and much, much more out for anybody to say at any time and for other people to latch on to. It was even more dispersed than third wave feminism because first and second wave feminism were generally top down in terms of messaging, meaning there were a couple people at the top who were in an organization who said, this is what we're gonna fight for. And third and fourth wave feminism were more individualistic, more grassroots in that people in pain were expressing that pain so that others could hear it. Because the main idea of fourth wave feminism was women in pain expressing that individual pain publicly, they found common cause with other people who were also in pain. And that includes basically all the marginalized groups, gay, transgender, gender queer, non-gender binary, black, Latino, disabled, and any combination thereof, which is where in intersectionality comes in. The idea that there are layers of oppression based on how many groups, marginalized groups that you fit into, and that can change your experience. And that's why those narratives are important because some of those narratives are never heard. We hear the narrative from black people, we hear the narrative from women, but the black woman narrative doesn't get heard as often. And so this gave those who were members of multiple marginalized groups more of a voice. And when groups of oppressed peoples came together, they found an idea that was an ideology that worked for their cause. And that ideology was postmodernism. So postmodernism works with all the marginalized groups this way. The society that's been created was created by those in power. And those who were in power created the systems and the words, and the definitions of people and capabilities and what's fair based on what they believed was true from their perspective. And that was the perspective of power. 
So if you have some kind of elevated status, that elevated status becomes a built-in expectation for what you should have to compete evenly in society. So that expectation makes all their rules invalid. Their norms and opinions and ideas, they're all based from generally the perspective of those who are writing the rules, which is those of the oppressors. The oppressors and the oppressed became a lens through which fourth wave feminism and postmodernism, and in some ways social justice, see the world. There are those who are in pain and those who are causing pain, and the world would be fine if not for those who were doing the oppressing. I've said negative things about postmodernism in the past, but it's a system that does have some value. Because it sticks, there has to be some level of truth in it. And the truth I find in it, in terms of deconstructing societal narratives that hurt people, is that we don't want people learning any level of inauthenticity from cultural and societal norms. So if we stop teaching things that aren't valid to some or most people, then those people will inevitably be happier because they won't try to be something or fit in a box that doesn't work for them. And just from the female perspective, I'll touch the other parts of social justice and the intersectional movement later. But just for women, because this is a feminism podcast, things like women are very emotional. Women don't like math. Women are passive. These are things that the culture says that women hear consciously or unconsciously and take on as personality characteristics. And some women resent that greatly. They spend a lifetime unlearning those patterns. We learned so much in junior high school and high school that stay with us for the rest of our life. And we'll get into that later when we talk about bullying, but the idea is that we're all looking to be our authentic selves. So let's not learn lessons that don't work for us. Let's make sure we're teaching the right things and learning the right things. I discussed the main theme of fourth wave feminism as vulnerability. That comes about because everybody hears everybody else's narrative. And as we've progressed in society, there's an expectation for everybody to empathize and have a greater level of humanity for them. So there's a want for those people to not feel that pain. It is hurtful to see people in that much anguish. And that's probably part of it, is that some of that anguish was hidden in the past, hidden behind no way for it to be heard. So now that we can hear it, we want to end it. And there are two different kinds of pain that are happening. There are ideas in the culture that are hurting people, and there are ideas person to person, aka bullying. 
And fourth wave feminism has two different answers for generally how it's handling each. To protect people in the culture, we've created cancel culture. That's the idea that when somebody says something out of line, whether it be an inappropriate joke, a stereotype that we no longer use, or they harass somebody in a way that's public and we think shouldn't have been done, there is a movement that comes about, a groundswell of support for, if the justice system won't do it, then via peer pressure, we will cause this person to disappear or lose business or understand very quickly and directly that their actions or words were inappropriate. So this can be doxing a person. This can be writing to their advertisers and asking them to not support this person anymore. This can be writing to Twitter and asking them, asking for them to be removed or blocked. This can be any number of different things to apply pressure to keep the person from their actions or words that others considered hurtful. But the main idea is that people in pain should be protected from that pain by those who have the power of the group. And this is where feminism works to band together as a common cause to help people in pain. In a similar manner, we also have people who are hurt person to person. This is the kind of bullying that a lot of us are familiar with from our own junior high school and high school days, where people called us dumb or ugly or fat or skinny or any kind of thing that may have hurt our feelings because on a level, maybe that's what some of us older think that high school was about. It was about this rough time in our lives where we were figuring ourselves out and people were mean and that's just sort of part of the ball game. But a lot of people were really affected by that and people are still affected by that. People can be really damaged by that bullying. And because people can now call that out in real time via social media and say, I'm in a bunch of pain, I don't like it, and this hurts. And we're in this protective time period. We are in a period of protecting the vulnerable. So this has turned into anti-bullying movements, which is basically a code of conduct for, mostly we're talking about kids in school, to no longer say anything hurtful which I totally get. I totally get what they were going for. There are drawbacks to it, which I won't discuss, but I will say that in general, this is a fourth wave feminist movement protecting the vulnerable. And it's protected both, like I said, in the media and on social media and in the culture, via cancel culture, but also on an individual basis, person to person in schools via the anti-bullying movements. The Me Too movement was also part of fourth wave feminism. There were two parts to it, really. There's the public part, the very public part, which was 
taking down those who leverage their power for their own sexual gratification, the Harvey Weinsteins of the world. But there was also the part where women shared their stories. Thousands and thousands of women sharing their stories of humiliation, embarrassment, victimization by others. And it gave them a chance to put that out there and say, not only did this happen to me, but it happens often enough that it happens to all of us. And it gave them a chance to stand with their sisters in solidarity to say, look at what's happening to us. We are silent in our own shame because that's what society told us to do. But we're gonna take that power back by using our voice, by telling our narrative, and letting the world know that this isn't okay anymore. Sometimes it's hard to separate fourth wave feminism from social justice and or postmodernism. One of the reasons is that the gender norm box is challenged a lot by feminism and where people fall on a gender spectrum. Because women can be wherever they want, as well they can be, and so that also allows for people who have other kind of questioning gender identities to fall somewhat into the category of fourth wave feminism. Not that I'm saying they can or they can't, they just do. It's sometimes a little confusing to say that feminism has a position on race, racial equality, but it does. It doesn't say that it can't, it just does. You'd think feminism only fights for women, but that is not how a lot of people nowadays define it. The gender spectrum debate comes across with, I don't want to tell people what they can be, and people who are told what they should be, which is different than what they think that they are, puts them in pain. And since the want for fourth wave feminism is to make people less vulnerable, is, the theme is vulnerability, then those who are in pain should be eased of their pain. And particularly if that pain comes from being told there's something they're not, being forced to be inauthentic. So this allows fourth wave feminism to encompass the genderqueer, the trans movement, the non-gender binary movement, non-binary gender movement, the asexual movement, the intersex movement. Interesting fact, 2% of people are intersex. That is more than people with red hair in the United States. I heard it on a TED talk, so I think it's true. And I find that fascinating as somebody with red hair. But the idea is that these people in pain should be heard and listened to and protected because people who are vulnerable must be protected. So as we identify people as victims of either a narrative in society or oppressors in society who want to tell them what they should be that isn't authentic to them, they need to be protected from that. And that's how vulnerability fits in for those groups. There's one additional point I want to make about fourth wave feminism, and it's the uneasy relationship it has with capitalism. 
fourth wave feminism has empathy running through it. Because it is concentrating on the vulnerable, it's always thinking about those who are in pain. And it also thinks about things in terms of oppressors and the oppressed. Generally, the oppressors over time take more than they give. They are selfish. They don't distribute resources equally among the groups. And the people who lose out are generally the oppressed. Those who are already in pain are vulnerable to having even more taken from those who are willing to take. And capitalism is a system designed for those who are aggressive taking things from society. They take more than their proportion of the pie. So for that reason, fourth wave feminism and postmodernism and social justice have an eye on capitalism, seeing it as an inefficient system for meeting the needs of those who are oppressed, those who are in pain, those who need assistance. That is the end of this episode of How to Human. If you like this podcast, give it five stars. If you hate this podcast, give it five stars. If you have comments or death threats, please send those to howtohumancdt at gmail.com. And I will talk to you in episode 142 of How to Human.